Welcome. Hello. Hello. We're going to do, we're just going to jump right in, Revelation 21. And this morning, the entire sermon is around just one little verse, Revelation 21.5. And it's a hopeful verse. It's one that I really hope, not to put a pun on that, but I really hope that our hope is grown this morning as we soak in God's word. And so instead of uh, reading a ton of verses, I thought it'd be cool to just close our eyes and let me read this verse over you a few times in a way that's really slow. The ancient church called this Lectio Divina. It's a way of sacred reading. And so instead of reading a bunch of passages and kind of walking out of here wondering, what did we talk about this morning? We're just going to read this one a few times. So if you would, close your eyes. Take a few deep breaths. If you fall asleep, that's okay. We'll wake you up at the end. That's all right. And just settle in, believing that God is in this room, believing that there is, even in your doubts this morning, maybe fight to believe that maybe there is a God who's pursuing you in love, and maybe this verse has something to say to you. Personally, maybe God is wanting to speak to you. This is Revelation 21.5. Again, with your eyes closed, just imagine this. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, Write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. Again, just take a deep breath. You can't be anywhere but here right now. So fight to be fully present and listen to these words once again. Maybe there's a phrase or even a specific word that the Holy Spirit might be highlighting for you this morning. Just hold on to that this morning. And the one sitting on the throne said... Look, I'm making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down. For what I tell you is trustworthy and true. One more time. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I'm making everything new. And then he said to me, Write this down. For what I tell you is trustworthy and true. You can open your eyes. There's been a lot that's gone into this morning. If you didn't realize, there's been almost a year of planning, praying, inviting, asking. Even this morning, we were trying to get the lyrics to work. We didn't have the right HDMI to HDMI cord. I don't know if you guys carry that on you 
all the time, but we didn't have that. And so we went to ask the front desk worker, you got one? And Tomas, the, the front desk worker from Africa, he's like frantically looking through all these drawers. Does everybody have a, a junk drawer like this in their house with all the cords? So if you can just imagine an Arizona State University-sized junk drawer, and he's pulling through it, and not even within 10 seconds, he goes, you mean this one? And it's exactly what we needed. I mean, really, the, the entire journey up until this point has been God one step after the next, meeting us where we are and saying, I'm a good shepherd. I am. I'm a good shepherd, and I'm going to give you everything you need. And maybe you come this morning, maybe you believe that wholeheartedly, personally. My faith journey is more like the waves of the ocean. Sometimes the tide is big and it's coming in really nice. And other times it's not. And you're fighting to believe amidst a lot of doubts and confusion and hurt and pain and all the good. Honestly, it's sometimes harder for us to believe when it's going well, right? Sometimes when it's going really good, you think, I don't really need God right now. I'm pretty good. And this verse specifically, the reason I wanted to settle on this is because it centers us on the end of all things. Like this is the very end of the story. Revelation 21 and 22 is the end of the Bible. And I thought as I was praying about, Father, what do you want me to share this morning? Over and over again, I felt like he was inviting me to share, begin with the end in mind. Begin with the end. What's it going to be like? And I hope that you caught the turn of phrase in that verse as I read it slowly a few times. God is not saying at the end of the world that he's going to make all new things, right? He's not going to make all new things, meaning he's not going to destroy everything and start over because this isn't working. He's saying, I'm going to make everything new. It's a restorative hope. It's bringing dead things back to life. It's People that are hurt are going to experience peace. People that are struggling with anxiety are no longer going to have anxiety. Just a few verses before this, it says, there will be no more tears. Can you imagine a world that exists where there are no tears? And he ends the statement with, this is trustworthy. It's true. This is not something that you have to fight to imagine that maybe it's going to happen, maybe it's not going to happen. No, the one who sits on the throne is saying it, so it's trustworthy, and it's true. The one who sits on the throne. We can hope this morning because our God is not a God who's standing in heaven, tiptoeing over the earth, wondering, oh, please don't do that, like an anxious father with his kids playing with sharp things. Don't, no, don't touch that. No, no, don't do that. Don't do that. He's sitting on the throne. There's a posture to the way that God is ruling the universe. He's sitting on the throne. And it really is all about him. Anything that we can do in anxiety can be done better with God's peace. Do you agree with that? And we can do it better because of who God is. Not because of who we're not. Not because of what we've done in the past or what we haven't done. The, things, the good things maybe we've left undone. But because of who he is. There's an ancient Christian hymn, a song, poem that they would sing in these underground house churches. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen pictures of these underground places of worship, but they're really sweet when you're in them. If you ever get the chance to go to like Rome and sit in what they call the catacombs, 
where they worshipped underground for fear that if they got found out that people were doing this, they would be killed in the public square so that everyone would know this is what happens when you think that the emperor is not God. And they would put them on display to show them, don't do that. So I've been in these catacombs, and this is one of the poems that they would read over and over again to remember that really wasn't about the emperor, and it wasn't about the fact that they were meeting underground. It was about God who sits on the throne. We can hope this morning because we have a God who sits on the throne, and this is the kind of God he is. This is Colossians 1. Let me read this over you. Just a mat, If you can just picture that scene for a moment, collectively sitting underground, celebrating this, not out in the open like we are now with the windows open, and we're hoping that people walk in. The title of Colossians 1.15 is Christ is Supreme. It says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Let me just pause right there. The one who sits on the throne. If you want to know what God's like, all you have to do is look at Jesus. Like read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you're ever confused, what kind of God is he? He's the kind of God who eats with people that you probably don't think he should be eating with. What they called sinners or tax collectors, people aligning themselves with the Roman government at the time. I'm, I'm assuming that when Jesus called Matthew, the tax collector, to follow him, that the other disciples in his crew were like, what are you thinking, Jesus? Like, are you, is this a trick? No. He's the visible image of the invisible God. No one is out of reach to this God. No one is not on his radar. Everyone is being sought after. It says Jesus existed before anything was created, and he's supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms. Do you remember that story back in Genesis, if you've read Genesis 1, where it says God speaks and says light, and there was light, and he separates the land from the waters, and he creates all these animals like giraffes, and rhinos, and you, and me, and platypuses. Like, he did that with a word. He said it, and then it happened. And I'm just, I'm standing here this morning, and sometimes I forget, as a preacher, that everything I see was created by him and for him, through him. He made all things that we can see, the things we can't see such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. This is the one who sits on the throne. And what is he saying? He's saying, behold or look, I am making everything new. And this morning, just a formational question for you to ask for yourself. Where is there anything in your life where you think this cannot be made new, this is dead? Is there anything in your life where you're believing right now, no, this is the way it's always been, so this is the way it will be? It could be a relationship with a child, a spouse, a boss, a neighbor. It could be something within yourself. It could be an addiction. It could be anxiety. It could be depression. It could be the way that you handle money. Wherever it is in your life that you're really believing, no, this thing is dead, or this thing is old, and it's set in its ways, and there's no way, there's absolutely no way that I can revive this thing. And I want to be a church that says, no, you're right, there is no way that you can revive that thing. 
But God is making all things new. God is making all things new. He can restore it. Everywhere that Jesus went, he, he, people that were paralyzed walked. People that were blind were healed. One of my favorite stories in Mark 2, when he heals a paralyzed man, before he heals him, he says, you want to know what your real need is? It's not that you can't walk. It's, he says, your sins are forgiven. But just so that you know that I have the authority to say that, pick up your mat and walk. So he healed him spiritually, saying, this is your deepest need. And then he healed him physically, just so that he knew, I have the authority to say this. He's making all things new. And I wonder if we can just pause for a minute in the middle of a sermon. I know that's strange. And whatever that one thing is, I don't want to move too, past, too far past that. But whatever that thing is in your life that you think, this cannot be restored, or I've tried to restore this, and it's not working, can we give that thing collectively in silence? Can we give that thing over to the Lord? Can we believe that he's going to restore it, that he wants to restore it, that he wants to make all things new? So let me just pause for a minute and give you just a few seconds to pray a prayer of faith and say, God, would you make that thing new? God, would you make that thing new? God, would you make that thing new? I like that Jesus starts by saying, look, I'm making all things new. As if he wants John, the writer of this, to see it. In the original language, it's actually a command. It's look, right? Behold is another word if you look at other translations in scripture. It's the exact same word that Jesus uses after he resurrects and he's speaking to his closest friends about what their task is. He says, this is what I want you to do now that, I'm, that I've died and I've resurrected. I want you to now go out to all the world and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and behold. Same word. Behold. Look. Don't forget. Keep your eyes fixed on me. I'm with you till the end of the age, he says. And so I'm curious, what are those things in your life that you're fixating on? Maybe just this morning is a time for you to lift your gaze and remember the one who's making all things new. Maybe you've been looking inside, maybe you've been looking to your own resources, but he's saying, behold. It's like what I do with my kids when they're not apologizing and they're not looking me in the eyes when they should be looking me in the eyes. I grab their little chubby cheeks and I lift them up to my eyes. I said, look, look at me. Maybe God's doing that this morning. If you behold, I can make that thing new. I can do that. And then he goes on to say, last but not least, write this down for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. It's going to happen. Jesus is going to make all things new. 600, things bef 600 years before Jesus was born, this prophecy was made in Isaiah 43. It says this. It says, forget all that. Let me give you a little context. Right before this passage, Isaiah is talking about the Exodus. You know what the Exodus is? Where the people of Israel, by the millions, 
were rescued out of hundreds of years of slavery by miraculous plagues and the sea being parted. And then they got to, I mean, Pharaoh's whole army, his massive army where they were outmatched was destroyed. And Isaiah is saying, hey, that thing that I told you to celebrate every year, that thing, that Passover where every single year you're remembering the Exodus, he says, yeah, forget that. I guarantee if you were an ancient Israelite and you were reading this passage in Isaiah, you were like, I'm sorry, what? What did you just say? Forget that? That's the basis of our identity, a rescued people. Forget that? Why would I forget that? And he says, because it's nothing compared to what I'm going to do. See, I'm about to do something new. See, I've already begun. Don't you see it? I'm going to make a pathway through the wilderness. I'll create rivers in dry wasteland. Come on, Arizona. You feel that? I can create rivers in dry wasteland. The wild animals in the fields are going to thank me, the jackals, the owls, for giving them water in the desert. Yes, I'm going to make rivers in the dry wasteland so that my chosen people can be refreshed. See, I've made these people for myself, and someday they're going to honor me before the whole world. He's speaking of Jesus here. He's speaking of this good news isn't just for you, Israel. This is for the whole world. And get this, not just you and me as persons. In Romans 8, it says, all creation, all creation is waiting and groaning and waiting for this moment of restoration. So every week as a church, we're going to enter into a practice of communion. And we're going to take this in remembrance of the thing that they were told to forget. Jesus then comes and says, I want you to remember this until I come again. And so on the tables on the right and the left here, wherever you're at, there's little homemade pieces of bread. You can take that, dip it in the juice. The bread represents Jesus' body that was broken for you, willingly, not because he had to. The juice represents his blood that was shed, that you might experience forgiveness and freedom, and not just freedom for the sake of freedom, but freedom so that you could then be set free to serve and love those around you. So let me pray, and then whenever you're ready, if you want, you can go take communion together. Father, I ask that this morning, as we begin this journey of meeting every single Sunday in this space, that this would become a meeting place with you, and that this place would send us out into the world to be a part of the restoration of all things. We play a part in that. Thank you for your blood that was spilled, Jesus. You did nothing wrong, and yet you suffered the most incredible injustice that we might experience life and life to the fullest. Thank you for your body, your resurrected body that gives us hope that someday you're not just going to do away with the old, you're going to restore it. Help us to believe in that this morning, afresh. Fill us up with hope. In Jesus' name we pray.